You're listening to the Full Time Function Musician Podcast, episode eight. You're listening to the Full Time Function Musician Podcast, the number one resource for growing your function musician business. If you're a solo wedding singer, part of a 12 piece luxury show band, or anything in between, and want to learn from other successful musicians, you're in the right place. You're listening to the Full-Time Function Musician Podcast. I am your host, Jack Twiner. If this is your first time listening, hey, welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. This podcast is for function musicians who are looking to grow their business, hear some inspiring stories, and generally just learn from others who've been doing it successfully for years. This is a cool episode today. Um, We are going to be diving into the world of in-ear monitors. This is something that I get asked about all the time on video shoots. Um, So if this is something that you've been toying with, then this is definitely going to be a great episode for you. Um, So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Miles Dakin. You are listening to the Full-Time Function Musician Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting to Miles Dakin. Miles has been a full-time function musician for the Anastasia Guitarist, sorry, for the last eight years and is also a self-confessed IEM nerd. That has led him to start his company, Dakin Custom Audio, an in-ear monitor company run by musicians for musicians. Miles, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Jack. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this one. Um, IEMs are something I get asked about all the time, but to be honest, I don't know that much about. Um, coming from the studio world, I mainly stick to over-the-head headphones, but um, I think there's there's so much out there. It can be a bit daunting to get started. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to diving into that. But first, I'd like to learn a bit more about you, where you got started, and what's brought you to where you are today. Nice. Well, yeah, so I'm a guitarist and a vocalist I suppose by trade and I started playing guitar pretty young um did a lot of stuff through university and school and like a lot of people I suppose maybe front people guitarists and vocalists as well I was really wanted to do my own kind of music so that led me on to doing a sound engineering degree um, which was cool here in Birmingham where I'm based And yeah, it kind of all led on from there. I was in lots of different bands, um, lots of different projects I was involved in. And, but the university degree I did, as much as I was like, I want to record my own music and be part of, you know, building my own kind of little empire as an independent artist, I found it was very much kind of the sound engineering side. So what I decided to do, rather than kind of be by the side of the stage, looking after the musicians, I kind of took the leap and decided to go into the kind of corporate function session world and throw myself out there as a guitarist and a, and a vocalist as well. So that's kind of where I've ended up being as my kind of bread and butter, like you say, for the last seven, eight years, which has been really good fun. And it's the kind of world that once you're in it, I'm sure people listening to this will appreciate. There's a kind of like knowing look. It's a really hard world, uh, really hard world to be in. Uh, and it's, long hours it's hard work but it's also really rewarding and fun as well and you make some fantastic connections so I kind of stumbled into it I didn't I just wanted to make money as a musician and I suppose when I was starting social media and stuff was a thing but TikTok wasn't a thing and there wasn't this way of burning up in like kind of overnight fame online as much so to earn money as a musician you either had to kind of teach or get out there and play And the easiest way of getting out there and playing was starting off in agency function bands, really depping, 
you know, kind of taking every gig that was there, going up and down the country and just doing upwards of a hundred gigs a year and just kind of grafting really, uh, making connections and being the first person that people call when they need a dep. And that's kind of how I started. And it just snowballed and rolled on from there. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was good fun. I still do it now. I'm in now in a regular band, um, which is, which is wicked. And that has its own benefits to kind of depping out and being out all over the country. But, um, yeah, it, it's been a, it's been a fun road to get to, to where I am. And there's definitely been a quite a few interesting experiences along the way. When you say, um, regular band, do you, do you mean originals band or like a, just a, a band that gigs regularly or? Oh yeah. So now I'm in a, uh, I'm actually a kind of full-time member in a function band, um, here in Birmingham because there's lots of benefits that kind of come with that. There's the security of knowing who you're going to be performing with the set list that you're playing, all this kind of stuff. It's less, um, flying by the seat of your pants when, you know, you get a set list sent to you on a Friday night and it's like, can you learn these 40 songs by tomorrow and the first dance? And you're like, okay, this, this way is a little bit more structured, but again, like I imagine it's similar to a lot of other people's stories as well. I've kind of been out and about and, and gigging so much that it took me a long time to kind of find the kind of people that I wanted to be in a band with. And, and I stumbled across the band that I'm in now smooth, um, band leader James is amazing and he runs the band in a way that really speaks to how I want to work so that's the reason why I then committed to it because as you'll probably have met through doing what you do as well there's there's lots of different characters and different ways of looking at being a function musician and, and different levels of um, commitment and professionalism and some people are just like really relaxed about it and some people take it deadly seriously and it was fine for me finding a, a group of people who struck a nice balance down the middle and um, that took a little while. Uh, and yeah, that's what I do now. So we're doing, it can be anything upwards of 70 gigs a year when it's, when it's heaviest um, and yeah, and beyond. So it's just kind of like ticks over in the background, which is really nice because it gives me the kind of security of knowing that dates are in the diary and I'll get the gigs and there'll be the gigs that I want to do with the people that I want to do it with. And I know they'll be easy enough. They'll be, they'll be fun. They'll be enjoyable. And it allows me to do the stuff with DCA in, in the background. So it's uh yeah, like I said, it's all about striking that balance. Yeah. Nice. Do you, um, do you ever go out solo now or is it mainly just sticking to the band stuff? Uh, I used to go out solo a lot. So yeah, like, again, like as vocalist and a guitarist, one of the main things that I did, I do in my kind of craziest year, I think I did around 140 gigs in one year but a lot of that was you know kind of band work through the weekend but then a lot of solo acoustic stuff so I was always doing yeah solo acoustic shows in the afternoon and then packing up getting out and going off to do the do the function gig in the evening so yeah it was good fun it again different kind of um different set of challenges when you're rolling out on your own um but again I used to work with a lot of agencies up and down the country so they would book a certain number of gigs for me. And then I also did my own kind of independent marketing stuff and, and worked with other kind of uh, online promotion things to, to get me gigs as well. So it was a nice mix to be fair. Nice. And do you, do you use any of your um, audio engineering background now? Oh man, a hundred percent like this. So this is, this is the interesting thing. And this is why I really get to enjoy what I do. So, cause I'm, I'm essentially half musician, half sound engineer. So the reason why I think 
I've got the gigs that I got is because I've got that underpinning of the kind of technical side of it. So the band I'm in now and the reason I settled uh, and really enjoy working with these guys is because they run a stage in a similar way to and the similar level of kind of uh, attention to detail that you'd expect on a big like festival or arena stage. You know, nothing's left to chance. Everyone's on in ears. It's the same show every night with the same PA in the same way. So consistency is king. And with that, you've got enough variation in a, in venues, couples, clients, set lists, all these kind of stuff. You've got enough going on that the technical side of it, if that's consistent, then it helps. So yeah, I've always used my audio engineering for, for everything. I think it's one of the core skills that, and especially when I'm working with clients now, it's something that we almost have to like work on and with them a little bit to help them get the most out of their innings, for example, because their setup is quite simple and they made me don't understand the basics of how it works first and even just a basic understanding of how eq works compression when or not to use it and just how to set up a pa and how to set a pa to a room has made my life as a as a gigging musician so much easier because all the issues where you'll see on like forums and facebook and stuff i'm sure you've seen the posts like me like going I just can't, you know, we had a gig last night. It was horrendous. There was a sound limiter. I couldn't cope with the room. There was like this boominess. Someone kept telling me to turn down. Someone kept saying they couldn't hear the vocals. All these kind of common problems that a lot of people have. I am fortunate enough with my background to be able to solve those before showtime. We just kind of save the show as it is. And then we know when we step on stage, we can do our thing rather than having to worry about how the room or the space or the people are going to react to us when we're there so yeah it's it's a massive underpinning of, of everything that i've ever done so is that is that your sort of um obviously playing in it as um, your main role but is that so you've got your band leader he's he's doing the booking are you doing like the sound for gigs uh so actually he set up the band and he's got it he had it pretty locked down when i started but yeah essentially that's one thing that i because the one thing I, f- I find the best musicians I've ever worked with and something when I was first starting that I really took to heart was the people who are really nice, easy to get on with is like the basic. But then there's so many people who had those little extra skills that you didn't realize that were like, you know, would make your life easier. They've already thought of something before, you know, they've already solved the problem before it came a problem. They were the best people to gig with. So that's what I try and do. So when we're sound checking, we'll set up the sound and I will be, out the front with an iPad, walk in the room, making sure it's all right, setting up the PA and, and being an extra pair of hands and an ex- extra pair of ears because our band leader is the drummer. So he's always at the back. So it's kind of, it, he then trusts my ears to sort out the room. And then we know that when come showtime, it's like, it's going to sound great. There's there's less, there's less hassle like that. Um, yeah. Some of the, some of the, I guess, some of the most organized bands that I've met and that, um, have the least amount of issues in their personal relationships in bands is people that have got like set roles that they, one guy does the lighting, the the girl does the sound, someone's doing the booking. They've all got kind of like a, like a role apart from playing in the band. And that kind of just moves everything along a lot more smoothly. Um, and yeah, as I said, keeps those relationships nice as well. Oh, hundred percent. The best bands are like the ones which are basically like a traveling circus. You turn up, everyone knows their job. doesn't matter where you go or what you do. Someone's like sorting the power. So you say someone's done the lights, someone's doing, I mean, like, so the, the best thing that I ever did was go to a silent stage as well. Um, so obviously 
sounds lame and it sounds a little less rock and roll going like, I don't have any cabs. I don't have any amps, no backline, electric drum kit, all this kind of stuff. But actually for, like I said, consistency, if you're doing like upwards of a hundred gigs a year, if you can turn up and there's the fewest components possible, and then you only have to worry about kind of the main sound source being throwing forward, that cuts out 99% of the issues that you'll have on stage. And it's normally, to be fair, the drummers who like the vibe, the feel goes a little bit more, but when you've got those set roles, like you say, it all just allows everything to fall into place. And I'm very lucky that, yeah, with, with the, with the guys in smooth, it's like we turn up, we gig enough together. It's consistent. We know, and even the depths that we've got, we've got a small pool of depths that, that we use. They're really good and they just slip into the role as well. So like you say, it's, we know that if time's tight, you can set up quickly and it just adds that extra level of reassurance and professionalism for your clients as well, which is, which is massive. Yeah. And you can just focus on the playing, um, which is essentially the important part, right? Yeah. So what kind of gigs are you mainly getting? Well, I think, yeah, mainly weddings, to be honest, that's, uh, kind of been the, the bread and butter for what, what those guys have done for, for many years before I even joined the bands. Like I was, I was depping for, and so I knew Kat, the main singer in smooth she was working with them for a couple of years before and then we were in a band together on the side and then the guy who was playing guitar and singing left and there was a chance for me to kind of move in and and kind of take over that role so it's it's always it's always been like yeah a, a, a specific person for a specific role in that band and yeah it's always been weddings that's been the main thing uh so a lot of corporate work as well of course um like new year's gigs award ceremonies things like that but uh yeah all in the uk as local as possible um and it's kind of been about yeah carving out that that local niche of being the best kind of professional band that you can in your area as well i mean we do travel all over the country obviously you have to um nowadays but yeah, weddings is weddings has been the thing and, and the kind of organization behind that and allowing clients to be looked after in the way that they want to be on their wedding day and not have to worry about a thing has been the thing that, yeah, James, the band leader, has, has really has really tied down. And that's one of his real special kind of attributes, I think, and why he's been so successful doing what he's doing. Yeah, that sounds great, man. I mean, I imagine that's kind of a position where a lot of bands strive to get into where it's sort of just sort of ticking over real nicely without putting like loads of effort into everything at the minute. Well, to be fair though, man, like everything that I've learned, like I said, I've been gigging for so long. It's everything there is, is totally applicable. Like it's like the, this just happens to be the the band that I'm in now. But even before, like when I was, when I was kind of a bit more a bit more like kind of doing lot when I was doing lots of shows with lots of different bands, like I said, the, the main thing that, and the kind of feedback that I always got was, like I said, it was that extra level of organization and trying to look at being an easy person to work with and, and having the client's best interest has always been the reason why people have kind of asked me back, which I'm kind of quite privileged about, but yeah, getting, getting gigs and stuff has never necessarily been the the, the kind of problem. It's been like kind of, finding the right gigs that I wanted to do mm. as a musician. Yeah. I, suppose. I mean, uh, that band must keep you pretty busy, but, um, I imagine your other business keeps you even busier. So yeah, let's get into a little bit about how you started this business and, um, and yeah, what, what it does. Yeah. Okay. So, so I've been using in-ear monitors for probably the best part of 10 years now. So I actually started in uni cause I have never had a space where I could build 
a like studio or anything like that. So to me, the most obvious thing to do was to build a studio in my head, <laughs> if you like, like a, a controlled space inside my head. So rather than having a six by four room, which was all treated with studio monitors that I could sit in and listen in a certain space, to me, the the answer to that was, well, if I've got a set of in-ear monitors that I know really well, isolate me from the world, and I know how those speakers react, to me, it seemed like the same concept. So that's where I started. And yeah, I was, again, that's another reason why I ended up doing a lot of sound in bands, because when there was problems, I had a set of in-ears that I could hear the problems that the other guys maybe couldn't, because they were either using wedges or they were using slightly um, cheaper universal in-ear monitors, which just didn't have the the bandwidth for it. I mean, my first set of in-ears weren't anything particularly fancy. They were a set of custom uh, customs with three drivers in them. So a low, mid and high. So a nice broad spectrum. And then, yeah, like I said, that allowed me enough clarity to, to be able to do mixing, uh, some mastering and recording work and live, live work as well, obviously. Um, so then that kind of was my, my innings were always my crutch as well. Cause as a vocalist, I'll be hundred percent honest. I am by no means a yardstick for a good vocalist or or how a vocalist should go about their their uh, their daily daily duties kind of thing I, i've never been um trained in anything like that i'm not particularly a very efficient vocalist but when i was gigging a lot i used to lose my voice a lot in the start because i was in loud bands in loud spaces didn't quite understand it very new to it really excited doing two hour sets and just kind of cooking my voice and i'd lose it after an hour and, and then I'd be like, you know, really pushing through the last last hour. Um, so I was like, there's got to be a better solution to this. So that's when I got into using in-ears so that I could always be in control of what my voice was doing. And no matter where I was, and, and like you said, that underpinning of my kind of audio engineering background allowed me to tap into whatever system was there. I could always set up my in-ear monitors, even with originals bands, when we were playing in, you know, little dive bars in, in Coventry or whatever, there was always a way of, making sure that I had a feed of my vocals so that I could always reference myself. So that was, that was a thing that made me kind of cotton onto it. And then as bands progressed and, and technology has kind of come up a lot over the last kind of 10 years or so with digital mixes and things like that, now everyone's doing it. It's, it's so accessible that I was just, I could see a lot of people going, well, A, in-ears, they're like, oh, I, I feel really disconnected from the stage when I wear in-ears and they sound awful. And often I'd listen to people's mixes and I go, well, no wonder, like there's lots of things wrong here. Like you're, you're trying too hard or you're listening to the wrong thing. Try this, try this. And I'd, I'd always end up fixing people's mixes basically, or, or mucking around with, with stuff uh, and trying to help them. But from a musician's point of view, not from a sound engineer's point of view, because I learned pretty quickly that you can quite easily bamboozle people with technical jargon that just goes way over people's heads but when you talk about it in musical terms that people understand and you can talk to them on a level as someone standing on stage and experiencing it in the space they're experiencing it in it became really quite easy so then one thing led to another and I yeah just decided to take take the plunge and start an in-ear business to help out basically people around me in the Midlands um and I managed to Basically, I, I, my USP now is as well looking after musicians as best as possible and trying to build a community about what I'm doing. So I invested in using 3D ear scanning rather than traditional custom impressions that you'll have seen people doing, which is like when you inject like a silicon mold in people's ears. Um, 
that to me seemed like a perfectly fine way of doing it. A lot of the people I work with still use it that way, but I wanted to do something that was nicer for the musician. I don't like the idea of someone squirting something down my ear towards my eardrum and it only being stopped by a tiny little piece of foam. Um, that to me as a musician, if I'm gigging, you know, next weekend and someone does something weird to me during an impression on a Wednesday, then that's my whole weekend's work gone for Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Like if something happens to my ears, then so that to me was like, there must be an alternative. So I found 3d ear scanning. So it's like quicker, less invasive, safer in, in some ways as well. And I was just like, I'm going to roll with it. No one's doing it here in the UK. And I am pleased to say that doing it and I, we are now like we have exclusive use of that technology for the pro audio industry in the UK. So that's led us on to then work with the artist departments of like 64 audio, fur audio, ACS, and lots of other kind of amazing manufacturers. And I've met loads of great musicians, uh, which is cool. And that has all trickled down and fed back into the network of musicians that I've always worked with. And I get to have great conversations every day with normal working musicians doing their thing and helping them solve problems, which is essentially what I really enjoy doing. So uh, yeah, I just spend a lot of time chatting to people awesome, man. <laughs> basically, which is, which is good fun. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll d- I definitely want to swing back around to your, to your business a bit more in a minute, but I don't want to um, assume that everyone listening knows exactly what we're talking about when it comes to IM. So I want to get back to basics Yeah, yeah. Um, and start with like, who should be wearing them and why should they be wearing them? Okay, so from like the core, let's, we'll go back to basics. So yeah, like wedges on stage, so the traditional way of like throwing sound back at yourself is fine. But when you're gigging a lot, like most people are, even if you're doing upwards of like 40 gigs a year in a loud environment, if you're not wearing any kind of hearing protection, you're going to basically start pushing your ears to a point where they will get damaged if you're not careful. So um, the easiest way I explain it is if you're in a room which is, 100 decibels which is like standing in front of a drum kit an acoustic drum kit that's playing at that level your ears can only cope for 15 minutes until they start to get damaged so when you come out of a gig and your ears are ringing that's essentially your ears have been pushed past that point of being able to cope which when you put it in that kind of plain terms it's actually quite scary to think that you could be damaging the one piece of equipment that you need to be a musician and and kind of work so what in-ear monitors do is essentially they take the loud environment that's around you and you isolate yourself from it a little bit. So you drop that 100 decibels down by like 25 decibels or so. So it's much, much quieter. So the same level as when you're kind of just talking to somebody in a, in a room or in a, in a cafe or something. So it brings the sound on stage down to that and then basically puts back in the sound directly into your ears that you need to hear. So it's a lot more direct um, and it's a lot more safe than being in a completely open, loud environment, Um, which is why often people say, oh, it's kind of quite disconnecting. It feels weird because I'm only listening to a dry signal of my vocal or or my guitar amp doesn't sound like it does in the room or whatever. But that's just the starting point. Once you've kind of knocked that level down so you're safe, if you're listening at like 86 decibels or something, you can listen for eight hours safely. So if you imagine, if you imagine you're doing your 40 gigs a year, even at 92 or so, so you've kind of half that time, that's two hours safe in a space. If you're going to be going, doing a sound check, doing a two hour gig, and then doing DJ afterwards for five hours, that's like five hours worth of exposure, but you're only safe for two. 
So that's going to be three hours every night that you're kind of damaging your hearing. So it's that portion of hearing damage that we're trying to alleviate within ear monitors. We're trying to like, that's the, that's the core concept of it is it's making sure your ears are safer. But then with that, once you've kind of got yourself in that kind of safe bubble and you're comfortable with it, honestly, an in-ear monitoring mix live, once you've done it, you can't really go back to using wedges because it's so reliable. It's so consistent. And actually it's a lot better helps you perform better as well. Awesome. And so I guess my next question is for maybe bands that are earlier on in their, in their career, do you need loads of other equipment to make this work? Like, um, a whole mixing desk setup and, um, headphone amps and stuff like that. What's what, what other equipment do you need? Uh, I mean, it's to be fair, it's quite like a common misconception that you need to have lots of stuff to make it work. Like, cause essentially what they are is they're just headphones that block out sound. So every mixing desk has a headphone output normally. So if you're the lead singer of a band, you can plug into the headphone out as a bare minimum and you'll get, you'll hear what the front of house speakers are hearing. So that's just like an extension cable, like I'm using now to listen to this while we're, while we're speaking. But generally all you need is the headphones themselves. And then you need something to go from your mixing desk to you. So that's either like, yeah, a, a head, headphone amp, which are pretty cheap. And most people use stuff like Behringer P2s, which are like 50 quid and they need an XLR cable. So that's like quite, quite cheap. Or people use stuff like wireless systems. If you want a bit more freedom, you want to move around stage. So, but they're, in terms of like an investment, lots of people won't flinch about buying a new guitar for like 750 quid maybe and go, Oh, it's a, it's a mid range guitar, you know, or it's a, it's a basic guitar for this guitar brand or whatever, you know, it's not an American made strap or whatever. It's, it's, you know, it's a Mexican made one. It's, it's, it's a cheaper version potentially, but like when it comes to investing in your ears, people go, Oh, I'm not going to spend that much money on a pair of headphones. Are you mad? Why would I do that? Like it's just headphones and be like, yeah, but if you've got a <laughs> 2000 pounds, um, being played on a 2000 pound guitar, you're singing into a 200 pound microphone going through a, I don't know, 500 pound mixing desk. And then you're listening to it on a pair of 20 quid headphones. Something to me says you're losing, <laughs> you're not benefiting from all that amazing investment in your craft and your art that you're paying into through your music and your performance and you're going, I'll listen to it through a paper bag. Like it doesn't, like there is a, there's an element where you need to, yeah, you need to kind of recalibrate the way you think about stuff uh, on stage. I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, they can range right from hundred quid to thousands and thousands of pounds. Um, if someone wanted to get started, are the sort of stock standard ones that aren't molded to your ear, are they good enough? Or is that a good place to start even? Or should you really go for molded? So one thing that I am a massive advocate for is obviously hearing health and making in-ears more accessible in general. I wouldn't, Everyone's personal situation is different and not everyone has hundreds of pounds to spend on a pair of in-ears. The main thing that you need to do um, is get the amount of isolation right so as soon as you've isolated yourself well whatever you you'll be able to hear what you're trying to put back in a lot better um a lot of musicians i know start on kind of slightly cheaper amazon basic headphones and stuff that's okay 
but a lot of them aren't actually built for musicians, even though they say in-ear monitor on them. They're built for kind of like audiophile listening, which is cool if you listen to recorded music, but live they can be a bit tricky to work with. Um, so yeah, as long as they're isolating well, you can use a set of universals. But I would say that to get a good sounding, reliable set of universals, you are kind of, you do need to spend around 200 pounds or so to get that. And that's around the time that a good set, you know, a basic set of customs starts. So it's that kind of perception of what, what do you want? Do you want, you know, do you want the reassurance of going, oh, I'm not jumping into custom straight away? Or do you want to just go, I'm going to do it right, do it once and, and kind of go for a cheap set of customs and start from there? I think I'm explaining. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't want anyone to think that like I'm anti, anti-universals because like I said, everyone's situation, personal situation is different. If that's all you can afford and that's how you want to start and you want to protect your hearing and get a better stage sound, start there and experiment. But I would say the benefits that come with having a set of customs, that guaranteed isolation makes the problems that you'll experience trying to get used to universals a lot easier, a lot quicker, because you've got that guaranteed isolation. So you can work on what you're listening to rather than making them fit and feel okay. So you're not faffing around with yeah. them on stage. I mean, I got, I bought um, a pair, I'm going to forget the name, um, the Shure 215s or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they sound great. They're, uh, they're only about 100 quid, maybe 120 quid. They're not that expensive at all. They do sound great. I, quite, I find them quite fiddly to fit it, um, to put in. But uh, even those, when because my um, my old studio is just basically uh, one room studio. I didn't have like a separate um, control room and live room. So obviously sound isolation in there is pretty difficult. But even those, I could suddenly uh compared to these over the head headphones i've got on now which are like audio technica m50s or something even those shores in then gave me so much more isolation i could actually hear the like a drum kit being played even though i was in the same room as it it's it was wild um and again yeah not that expensive yeah that's the thing i think once the the main thing that i when people come to me is they it's the fit that's the problem with universal in-ears um in the fact that your ears are actually like a fingerprint both your left and right ears although they might look very similar internally your actual ear canal might be a completely different shape and even just the entrance to your ear canal might be a different shape as well so um getting the tip to fit the ear properly is the best like investment in your time you can do so you get that guaranteed isolation because the one thing that with with a with a universal is if that's not right as you move and the cable moves around you will it will start to wiggle out and that's when you end up with you'll see singers mainly you know kind of dancing around on stage moving about singing with a wireless microphone and they've always got the hand that's not holding the microphone they're fiddling with the ear or something you know they're, they're always doing something they don't ever look 100 percent comfortable and like you say for 120 quids a set of shores in my opinion are much better fitting than the cases i would always advocate for someone to get a set of shores over a set of the kz's just because ergonomically they fit a lot more people's ears a lot better. Um, you'll see a lot of people saying they don't sound as good, but every sound engineer that's ever lived, I feel like if you turn up on a gig and say, I've got a set of Shaw 215s, they'll go, oh, cool, yeah. I know what they sound like. I'll give you a good mix, which is, which is good. They're kind of industry standard. But then the next step up from that, for that extra like 100 quids investment on top of that, you could have a set of fully custom fully isolated molded in-ears which sounds 10 times better but only for a small step up in that price it's like 
it's like when you get to a point of buying like say for example they're really expensive instruments you get to a point of like diminishing returns when you get to like kind of custom shop level but the difference between a i don't know squire strat that's like 100 quid and then one of their like more expensive squire strats that's like 300 quid it's like a massive like a gaping void in quality and it's the same kind of thing within ears when you kind of start stepping up in kind of drivers and, and how they sound like even just a small investment in your hearing now five years down the line you'll be thanking yourself like that's that's the way i try and look at it yeah uh, back to your point on um like headphones your ears not being exactly the same you've started i've 100 found that and this this is just <laughs> with like apple the standard like hard hard white headphones the ones without the rubber bits on the end yeah. i found like one one fitted really well and on the other side it just wouldn't fit and i could get no bass response from it and i thought well one of these is broken but it's 100 my ears um so that is definitely a thing um but i guess next question then um I, I feel like i already know the answer but how would you get used to wearing them and I'm, i think it'd probably just be practice right use them for pre- rehearsals and everything as well yeah, kind of. I think uh, a lot of people get put off in-ears in general when they go, yeah, they go, I've bought a new set of in-ears, I'm going to use them on the gig. They turn up at the gig, they're setting up, and they just kind of set them up quickly and go, stick them in their ears and go. And like, excuse me, like you say, that's not, definitely not the best way of going about it. Um, you need to get used to it. So the the one thing I would say to, especially any vocalists listen to this, if you've um, not tried in-ears, in-ears for vocalists is in my opinion, the best thing you can do for your performing career, because it will give you so much more control over your voice, um, much better microphone technique. And also once you've got over the sound of your own voice in your head and you get used to how that feels and sounds on stage, that's the, that's the main thing you have to, you have to work on it. It makes you feel a little bit disconnected to start off with, but as you get over that and go, well, I need to work with this rather than going, it's not perfect straight away. I'm going to ditch it. Once you've got through that kind of initial stage of going, how's it working for me? What's my setup? How does it work? And, and by all means, by people talking to people like me, like that's what <laughs> a lot of my time I, I do, people kind of phone me up with kind of problems and they're like, how do I sort this? And you know, where, where do we go from here? Which, which I'm perfectly happy to, happy to do. Like once you've got through that stage, it only gets better from there. And then when you go back and you do a one-off gig with wedges, especially as a vocalist, you just feel so trapped because it's never quite right. And then you also have to, you're tethered to one place a lot of the time as well. Um, and, and microphone technique goes out the window um, again, because you have to recalibrate yourself very quickly. Um, so it, it's one of the things, yeah, practice at home. If you first get your set of in-ears, don't just roll out on a gig and expect it to be perfect. Take a little bit of time. And also, um, especially with people starting with customs, I, I always say, start basic don't expect to be able to run before you can walk and even before you can crawl like just literally put them in your ears and put one thing in your inners and that's your primary instrument for example so just kind of try and hear what's around you and then put your vocal in there and then go i can't quite hear my guitar right then bring your bit of your guitar in go right i'm now locked into what i need to listen to so that's me i'm sorted if if nothing else happens on this gig tonight I can hear myself and I can hear my vocal. I know I'm pitched correctly and I know I'm playing the right thing. And then after that, if your in-ears have got enough kind of bandwidth in them, then you can start bringing in extra things like drums, a click track, keyboards, other vocalists, those kind of things to then allow you to build that kind of soundscape around you. Um, Because that's kind of where you need to start with in-ears. You need to go, this is my 
tool for looking after me on stage and allowing me to hear what I need. And then you build stuff around it rather than expecting to go in and go, I'm going to have a full hi-fi mix in my head straight away and it's going to be perfect. You need to kind of take it in steps, especially if it's a brand new thing for you. You've never used it. So I think we've already sort of discussed the lower end price. So around the 200 200 quid mark for some custom inners, but you've yep. got maybe the next step up the mid range and then maybe even a, a higher, higher end price range that people can expect uh, to pay. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, the, the beauty within is, is, and the way I set up what I'm doing here at DCA is like, I only want to work with people and that's why I call them partners rather than kind of brands I stock or whatever. It's not, it's more of a kind of IEM hub consultancy thing that I do rather than it being a shop if you like, like it's a lot more kind of one-to-one kind of based stuff that I do, but like every in-ear that I technically sell is something that I'd be perfectly happy walking on stage with and using night after night. Like I have got full faith in, in what they do. And also I've gigged them a lot. So I actually have genuine experience of what each one sounds like and how it feels and how it reacts, which I think really helps. And people find really reassuring when they come along to a demo with us and kind of go, what's this one actually sound like on stage? How does it work? So in terms of starting with the most basic ones, so a set of uh, ACS Evoke 2s is the ones that we work with. Um, and they are, they're great. They're like your 215s, but they'll give you the guaranteed isolation that you want and they will sound really good, but they don't have a crossover in them. So a crossover for people who maybe don't know what that means is like, imagine a set of PA speakers you've got the big speaker in the middle which is doing the low end and the mid-range stuff and then you'll have like a tweeter like a small speaker that's doing all the high frequency stuff so that's got a crossover in it and we call it a two-way crossover because you've got the lows and the mids doing one thing and the highs doing the other thing so a crossover allows you to separate the sound that you're hearing in your head and gives a speaker a specific job so if you're throwing a full band mix at it and you've only got one speaker trying to do everything from the lowest lows to the highest highs, that speaker at some point is going to go, I can't cope anymore. There's only so much I can do. And 215s are a really good example of that because they sound quite bassy, but they've also got a nice mid-range. So vocals and stuff cut really well, but you won't get that kind of nice sparkly detail that you're looking for in like keyboards and symbols and 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 kind of uh, guitar work and stuff like that you won't just won't get that um whereas as soon as you've gone to the next step which would be a set of like a two-way setup so you've got yeah a low mid and a high driver so they're normally around four or five hundred pounds then you've got that next level of separation so that is again in terms of that 200 pounds that you spend that is a big leap up in longevity you'll get out of your in-ears as you learn to use them um but generally I say to most people and kind of say it slightly occasionally because everyone's different, um, but a three-way crossover in here is kind of the best place to start because you've got a low, mid, and high. So you've got a speaker for every kind of basic band of sound. So it means that anything like a vocal or a guitar or a keyboard or something will cut through the middle nicely, but you've still got all that definition in the low end and all that kind of sparkly high stuff so that when your mix gets better and you get more used to how it's working you've got a lot more kind of space to deal with. So that would be something like um, ACS Make One, uh, which is the uh, ACS Evolves. So that's what I use on stage a lot of the time. And they've got 64 audio, have the A3T. Um, so the three-way crossovers as well. Uh, and then once you've got to that level of kind of separation in, in the speakers, after that, 
kind of it just goes up to a four-way crossover so it splits the sound up again a little bit more but then it's kind of what your preference is where you end up uh, and you can kind of go all the way up to like a, a six driver in here so then you've got six speakers in each ear so in terms of like bandwidth and space you've got even more speakers allowing you to do more stuff and then imagine if you go to a big gig at an arena and you see those kind of huge speakers flown on either side like a line array so you've got lots of tiny speakers doing individual jobs crossed over in different places so i'm actually listening on my um 64 a18 t's so we've got 18 drivers 18 speakers in each side so in each ear so that's essentially like having a line array pa in your head and it means that whatever you throw at it, it's got enough speakers and enough space and enough bandwidth and enough headroom that no matter how loud the sound gets on stage, you will always have the dynamics of your performance will be kind of uh, looked after and you'll always have that kind of clarity in, in, in your mix. So that's kind of what you end up at when you kind of get to the top level, which is really cool. And what kind of price can you expect to pay for like top, top level? So there's, uh, so I work with a company called Fur Audio as well, who are doing something, some really cool stuff within ears. Um, like they've got a low frequency driver, which is rather than just sending sound to your eardrum, it sends it through your bones. So like using bone conduction, like you might see people with like bone conduction, hearing aids and stuff, um, implants and things that is sending sound through your skull rather than through your ear. They're using the same kind of phenomenon and their Xenon 6s, which are being used by some pretty big artists now, uh, like John Mayer, Stevie Wonder's a massive fan, um, potentially somebody, a large country pop singer going around the world. Um, she might be using them as well at some point. I don't know whether that's officially out there yet. Um, but yeah, lots of people are using them because they sound a lot more exciting, but they Xenon 6s are around three and a half grand per set. Um, but that, like I said, that's the kind of top flight cutting edge the, the, as kind of as, as high as you can kind of go at the moment, um, which is really cool. But also at the end of the day, they're just a in-ear monitor with a kind of four-way crossover in them. So very similar in a way to the stuff, which is like a thousand pounds or so. So if that's where you need to be, then you'll get a similar experience. It's like, say, it's just a, a point of what, what suits you and, and where you're comfortable investing in really as a set of customs those um those like you say bone condensing headphones they're really interesting i saw a thing on them a while back and they were it wasn't really to do with music to be honest but it was to do with like being able to like ride a bike safely and you see because they're not in your ear right they're like outside of your ear so you can still hear all the traffic and stuff around you but still hear like music really comfortably as well yeah they're they're cool these ones are slightly different in the fact that they're still obviously in ear in is for musicians so they they sit yeah. inside your ear but inside and i've got a set of um the krypton fives they're called they're krypton fives and they're like five speakers in each side but what they do is on the inside of your in-ear there's basically a, an opening so it's like having an open speaker like you've got open back headphones it's like having an open speaker in there but it's directly coupled to the bony part of your ear so all the real low frequency stuff like 20 hertz up to about 100 hertz or so it feels like it's being pumped through your bones so what it feels like when you're on stage it's like rather than it being kind of slightly more direct um sound it feels like you're stood in front of a pa system because you get all that real low thumpy stuff that like hits you in the chest when you go to a gig but then you've got all the clarity and detail around it so yeah it's it's a definitely a, a radical 
design, but it's the kind of thing that I feel like a lot of a lot of people are, are really sitting up and thinking about because I mean a lot of the musicians that I work with now use them because again it allows for even if the mix isn't as good as it could be it still gives you that feel and that vibe so a lot of people who are hesitant to go to in-ears they try these and they're like yo it's like I'm not wearing in-ears it, it doesn't feel like I'm wearing in-ears it feels like I'm part of the show still and I'm like yeah that's the whole point you're still protected you're safe your ears are not being roasted but you've got all this vibe and excitement and stuff. So uh, yeah, Fur Audio doing some really, really cool stuff over in the States and we work with cool. them here. Um, so back to your company a bit. Um, so obviously you said you're doing something a bit, little bit different with the 3D um, mapping of your ear. Um, obviously yeah. you can't do that at home. So how does that work with your company? Yeah, so um, basically I like I do when I'm on gigs uh, I spend a lot of time going up and down the country and meeting musicians where they are in their rehearsal spaces at their homes at gigs venues whatever and um, I take it to them because uh, one thing that I found that when I was starting it people were like I want to buy some customs what do I buy and then lots of well-meaning people on the internet will be like you should buy this I've got this it sounds really good but actually you would never buy a car without going and sitting in it and specking it out to how you want it. So why would you buy a set of custom in-ears without trying them out first and understanding what it's about? Um, and that, that was a big thing for me. Like a lot of musicians who come to me for customs have never tried a set of customs. They don't know the difference between a two-way or a three-way crossover. They don't know the difference between a set of 500 pound in-ears and a set of 1200 pound in-ears. How could they be that different? And actually there's massive nuances between them. So what I do, I take my scanner and I get out and I take all of my demo units from all of our manufacturers and I go and sit with musicians for a couple of hours. We listen to a load of tracks. We talk about their setup and how they work and just generally kind of, I let them tell me what they need, if you like, from, from that. And they try out a load of stuff and then I will scan their ears, create a perfect digital copy of your ear. And then after that, I can literally email it over to, the manufacturers and they build it because that, that's another thing for me like the traditional way of doing it is great and it's fine but it uses a lot of single-use plastics as well um like you're always generating a small like non-biodegradable putty thing to, to do it so in doing it this way it's a completely digital process so the only physical thing you're in is are is when they've actually 3d printed the shell in the factory and then start building it there's nothing there's no physical trail of it up until that point and i like that because i feel like we can do stuff in the digital realm now it is more accurate we've got a really really high um with all of our partner manufacturers we work really hard to get a first fit rate above 99 percent, and that's where we are now which is wicked so um we are and that's why we work with the artist teams for for a lot of our companies as well because they know it's we're reliable in doing it which is cool um, but yeah, so just get out and about. So if you are in Newcastle or down in, oh, where have I been, man? Oh, I've been everywhere. So like gigging at the weekends and then working, <laughs> doing this as well. You're kind of like, I might be in Newcastle one day, Bournemouth the next, then London, then Norwich, Norfolk, South Wales. And then it's like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm gigging and doing the same thing. I'm also bouncing around the country to, to lots of different places. So but uh, yeah, I also run demo clinics up and down the country now. So I'm in London quite a lot, Leeds, Manchester, Bristol, Newcastle, 
uh, so people can come and meet me where I'm at and yeah, sit down and talk in is. Nice, man. Um, yeah, back to the environmental side of things. Um, I saw on your website, you're also um, planting a tree for every sale. Is that right? Yeah. So I, but not in the kind of traditional way that you see a lot of people doing it. I, so my, yeah, background when I was growing up, I was always quite outdoorsy and wanted to be out and about and stuff. And I wanted to start something that we had control over. So not just kind of paying into a scheme where they say, oh yes, we've planted, you know, a hundred trees in the Amazon for you. You go, okay, cool. But that's not necessarily a tangible thing. I want to make a difference to the environment where we are here in Britain, you know, kind of tackle the climate crisis where we can. So what I've done is I've set up something called the Here Forever Project. So every sale, everything that comes through DCA pays into the Here Forever Project. So we plant a tree. And when I say we plant a tree, I mean, me <laughs> i like it's, it's like a because i'm a like a currently a, we're a small company it's mainly me doing 99 percent of the things so every year we're planting a tree for every set of in-ears that we've um sold and earplugs as well and we're also um working with community groups to help them and and kind of donating to help them rewild parts of Britain where they are so be that an urban space or be that a um a project maybe in the highlands or somewhere like that we're actively looking for places where if we say we've planted a tree with for you to offset the, the build process and stuff like that it's going to be a tree that is in a community forest or somewhere like that that's going to sit there for at least 50 years to actually offset the carbon and also create a more natural environment in that place and boost biodiversity and all this kind of stuff. So it's a real passion project for me. It's something that I always wanted to do. I just never thought selling in ears would be how I got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. That's great though. Um, yeah, really great. Um, so I guess, is there anything else you think people should know about, about in ears or anything we haven't discussed that you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the one, the one kind of takeaway thing um, would be just, yeah, approach it with with open eyes and go if you want to do it if you if you can see that there's benefit to it and there's other people obviously getting great benefit out of it i massively encourage people to to kind of do the research themselves talk to talk to people like myself by all means and i'm sure my details will be somewhere around this podcast as well please feel free to get in touch um, and, and chat things through with me because there's lots of people on, like I said, there's lots of people out there who will well-meaningly offer advice, but there's loads of like myths out there um, that are kind of quite damaging about in-ears and actually in the, in itself, you know, kind of start um, maybe even kind of damaging your hearing. Like if you see somebody going, ah, oh, I gig with in-ears all the time, but I always take one ear, one ear out, like that's a really bad thing to do because you've got one ear which is safe and protected and you've got the other one which is open to the elements. And if you do that enough times, then you will start, you know, kind of creating an imbalance in your hearing and you won't notice it now. You'll gig for like 10 years or so and you'll be young and your ears will be pliable and will recover and it will only be later in life when you start going, oh, I'm feeling the effects of that a little bit more now and and things are starting to kind of affect you, you know. Um, and... I do a lot of um, hearing health work with colleges as well and, and schools and things. And the one thing that always comes out to me as well is people don't know how loud stuff is. If you don't know how loud stuff is, just download a decibel meter on your, on your phone and just when you're in a loud space, see how loud it is. Get to know what 100 decibels feels like. Get to know what 
90 decibels feels like. Get to know how loud it is in your local pub or venue. And then you know when you're gigging, when you're out there 100 times a year, you can then know when you're probably need to start wearing earplugs or need to start wearing in-ears on stage or, or something like that. Because at the end of the day, your ears, you've only got one set. Once they're damaged, they're damaged. There's no reversing it. Tinnitus is so annoying and crippling. I can speak from first-hand experience. It, it's something worth avoiding and it is avoidable. So yeah, wherever you are in your journey, take your hearing kind of seriously and um, would be kind of my takeaway message to it and, and, and do your own research be your own boss on it and there are always ways of making it work no matter how simple or complex your setup is so uh yeah feel free to talk to someone who knows like me if you like what i've said yeah man <laughs> i um i i think there's definitely more awareness about looking after your ears more now um especially with at least um just earplugs like i remember when i was a kid going to gigs and stuff absolutely no one would have earplugs in yeah um and always come back with ringing ears for like three days after i'm sure loads of people know what that feels like um but you do see like a lot more people where like taking care of their ears now and having really good um earplugs i mean they're only um quite cheap but i maybe it hasn't quite moved on to with the in-ear side of things yet and i think maybe people maybe think it's a bit pretentious just to have in-ears like you're super important because you have to have special in-ears rather than it's actually to look after your ears i think that is one of the misconceptions that people have yeah. um yeah yeah exactly and like you say it's like it it can be seen as quite a flash thing it's like oh i've got custom in-ears you know all the people on stage on 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 like glastonbury are wearing custom in-ears i'm like them like i'm that but actually no and this is like dude this is like my biggest bugbear like let's make like they are accessible to everyone now the pricing has come down that it is so affordable and you can get them and look after your hearing from this point. And as well, uh, like I said, there's, there's different levels of kind of professionalism in our, in our world. And some people take it more seriously than others. If you are deadly serious about making money out of gigging and being out there, the only way that you can have that longevity is if you start doing this. Cause as well, most of the gigs that I do, if you haven't got in-ears, you just won't be accommodated. Like there's no option of wedges anymore. So if you're a young musician listening to this and you want to go out there and earn some money in, in, in the real world, get get comfy using in-ears, I, I would say, because it will put you in good stead no matter what you do, whether you're in a theatre, whether you're in a function gig, whether you're just gigging down a, a pub nine nights a week and then things take off for you, you'll be in a place where no matter where you are, you'll always be comfortable on stage and you'll always be able to perform. You'll always be able to hear what you're doing and buy into that. And the better you can hear yourself on stage, the better your performance will be because you can focus on it. And that's, yeah, that, that, that's one thing you should really consider if you haven't already. Yeah, man. I think that that wraps it up real nicely. Um, so just to finish things off then, if people wanted to connect with you or learn more about you or ask some questions, where would you send them? Uh, yeah, so head to dakingcustomaudio.com uh, is probably the best place or um, hit us up on Instagram. It's my most used social platform. So it's at DCA UK. So DCA for Dakin Custom Audio, obviously. Uh, yeah, or just yeah, feel free to get in touch to the website. All of my personal kind of contact details are on there. You'll get through to me and I'm always happy to chat stuff through. 100%. Awesome, man. I uh, think... I'm convinced I want to get some now. So I'll be uh, chatting to you more about that at some point as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned loads because I honestly had no idea what the difference between like 
the price ranges of um of them were so i've definitely learned a load today as well but yeah thanks so much for coming on and, and chatting to me man my pleasure dude thank you so much for having me it's been a blast awesome cheers dude thanks jack man so there we go i really hope that you enjoyed our conversation i really enjoyed talking to miles he's such a nice chilled guy with loads of knowledge i'm sure there's uh, loads of other subjects that we could talk about as well so maybe i have to have him back at some point if he'll come back i just wanted to say thank you to those that shared the podcast this week i really appreciate that and i would love it if even more of you could do that I would also love to hear from you about what you're liking and what you'd want to hear from future episodes. So if you'd like to get in touch and have your say about where this podcast can go, you can email me at feedback at the full-time function musician podcast.co.uk or you can message me on Instagram at infocusrecordingco. And lastly, if you want to join our Facebook community, you can search the full-time function musician community on Facebook. Um, And that's about it for me. Take it easy and I'll catch you next week for episode nine.